Father, thank you for the fact that you love us more than uh, we could ever, ever know. And thank you that you have given us uh, great gifts, the gift of salvation. And we never want to take that for granted. The gift of, uh, of each other, the gift of family. And we pray, Father, that uh, all your gifts we would appreciate and use in a way that you desire them to be used. We pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts today as only you can do. We have nothing to say unless it comes from your word. Our ears are, are deaf unless you open them. Our hearts are hard unless you soften them. Our minds are distracted with stuff that happened last week and things we have to do next week. We're distracted unless you focus them. And so, as always, we are dependent upon you. As we come together and we have sung together and interacted with one another, and before we look at your word, we want to pray together as your Son, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, Lori had been up all night with uh, back pains that I learned later were called back labor pains. And she woke me up and said, today's the day. Thankfully, I had gotten a good night's rest because it was going to be an exhausting time ahead of us. Feeding Lori spoonfuls of crushed ice and keeping fresh wet towels on her forehead and leading her in all those he-he-he's and ha-ha-has was not an easy job. And finally, a grouchy nurse pushed me out of the way, and quite honestly, I didn't mind because I was exhausted. Having a baby is hard work. Lori doesn't like that introduction, by the way. Finally, the indescribable moment came at Baylor Hospital in Dallas, Texas on a hot August afternoon. Our little daughter, our first child, entered the world. And an emotion washed over Lori and me like nothing we had ever experienced before. I remember the first time we took Brittany to church. And uh, someone came up to us and said, man, enjoy every day because it will go fast. As I looked at our little baby, I'm not sure I believed that lady. But now I do. With two of our kids married, a senior in college, junior in high school, Lori and I often look at each other and say, man, where in the world has the time gone? How could it possibly go this fast? Parents, we have this, um, we have this short, uh, fleeting window of time to install in our, in our children biblical values and nurture character traits and pass on to them a, a love for Jesus Christ. It goes fast. And it's a responsibility like no other responsibility on earth. 
As we wrap up this um, series on family under attack, I want us to address these last couple times the topic of parenting. And I want to address most of what I'm going to say to younger parents, at least parents who have kids at home. I know that every parent, when they hear a topic of parenting, want the magic formula. They want to know how you do this thing exactly right, how you raise a child to make sure they honor Jesus Christ, how you raise a child so that they are obedient, so you raise a child with the proper steps of discipline. Every young parent wants to know the 10 things I can do to ensure my child will be perfectly obedient, president of the National Honor Society homecoming queen or king, and receive a full academic or athletic scholarship, preferably both, to the University of Oklahoma. That's a dream for every parent I know. And you know what? I think the Christian community fills, fills you full of unrealistic expectations. Here's a book with 10 easy steps of parenting. Christian steps. I love Dobson and Focus on the Family, but i got to tell you, I've listened to Focus on the Family episodes, and I have walked away from those things saying, I am an absolute failure as a parent. There's no way I can meet the expectations of what that guy's telling me to do. So I just want you to know there's no formula. Just relax. Take a deep breath. There's no foolproof parenting blueprint. There's no one-size-fits-all discipline method. Every kid is different, and what works with one doesn't work with the other. So today, what I want to do is to give you just five things you need to know about parenting. And again, these are not uh, profound, and they're not new. These are reminders. And I think we need to be reminded a lot more than we need to be taught. So five things. By the way, in the first service, uh, one of the kids... uh, took these five things, and he raided his mom and dad uh, to see how they were doing. (laughs) So so I don't want my kids doing that, but I think it would be good for your kids uh, to do that. Five things. Number one, children are gift from God. A special, unique gift from the hand of God. Psalm 127.3 says this, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, I know there are times it doesn't feel like that. Particularly young parents going through all the stuff of parenting. It's like one of my favorite theologians, Irma Bombeck, said. She says, I remember having children. I just don't remember why. She concluded it was a 4-H project that just got out of hand somehow. A child is not a planned product. A child is not a surprise. A child is not a mistake. A child is not an oops in the eyes of the sovereign God. While we understand the biology of making a baby, we know it is only God who makes a baby. For you formed me in the inward parts, Psalm 139. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. 
For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. A child is a gift from God. Now, what does that mean? Well, if a child is a gift from God, it means a child is not your second chance at life. It's not your second chance at childhood. It's not your second chance of teenage years. It's not your second chance of going through high school. You can't live your life through your child. And parents, you've got to know that since your child is a gift from God, your child is not your identity. Child is not your excuse for a bumper sticker that reads, my child is an honor student at who cares elementary school. (laughs) When we understand that children are a gift from God, the questions change. You see, how does God want me to instruct his gift? His child, really. It's not alone for the short window of time. How does he want me to raise him or her? How does he want me to mold him or her? The questions are not, where do you want to go to college, or where I want you to go to college, but where does God want you to go to college? The question is not, here's what I want you to do with your life, or here's what you should do with your life. What does God want you to do with your life? And the special calling he's placed on you. Of course, our job is to help them ask and answer the right questions. See, when we understand this this simple yet profound truth that every child, every child, is a gift from God, a special gift from the Heavenly Father. It is a parenting game changer. Every child is a living gift that will make you experience button-popping pride and test every ounce of your patience. There'll be times of gut-busting laughter and tears that seem to melt your soul. You'll know the unconditional acceptance and the downright anguish of parenting from this little gift, this little miracle. And because every child will take you parents, us parents, on an emotional roller coaster ride, here's the second thing we need to be reminded of. Parents have to have their spiritual act together. Parenting like nothing else looks us right in the eyes and says it's time to get serious about your walk with Jesus Christ. It's time to crank it up. It's time to hit another notch. It's time to put it in another gear. I can't keep doing what I'm doing now with, now this, with this responsibility that God has given me. It's time to grow up. It's time to get grounded. Because you know the deal. Speed of the leader, what? Speed of the team. Speed of, speed of the parents. Speed of the child. Like Jay Ware, our youth pastor, likes to say, speed of the parents, speed of the student. First Peter 2, 2 says this, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may what? Time to grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Hebrews 6, 1 says this, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. 
And if there's anything that should motivate you to spiritual maturity, it's when you hear that little baby cry for the first time. Moms and dads, one of the reasons the elders of this church said it's time for something like Living Grounded is because we know what's at stake for parents. And you, as a parent, have to be grounded. You, as a parent, have to know the foundational truths of the Christian faith. How are you going to teach your children what you don't know? Your spiritual portfolio is much more important than your financial portfolio. When Paul was writing to his uh, spiritual son, Timothy, he said this, but as for you, continue, 2 Timothy 3, 14, 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You know those from whom you learned it. Who do you think those people were? And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. From infancy you knew the holy scriptures. Again, I ask the question, how do you pass on what you don't have? Write down this email. R. Or T. Rojan at BibleChapel.org. T. Rojan at BibleChapel.org. Tom Rojan, Rojan is our pastor of discipleship. And as a young parent, you need to, you need to call him and say, I, I got to get through this living grounded stuff. I've got, to, I've got to begin the process of making sure I am grounded in my Christian faith because I want something to pass on to my children worthwhile. Now, I want to talk specifically today to moms and dads of younger kids. But I have something for you empty nesters. You need to write down that same email address. And you need to say, Tom, it's time for me to give back. I'm not going to come here and sit and soak and sour. I'm going to come and give back to these young parents I want to take them through living grounded I want to meet with them and I want to tell them and encourage them in some of the things that helped me out I'm not a perfect parent by the way if you're a perfect parent don't don't email Tom okay if you have all those bumper stickers on your car don't don't email Tom but if you're an imperfect parent and, and you parented imperfect kids then we need your help and we can't have you just setting. That's part of community. See, you have responsibility. Think of all the people who mentored you along the way. Now it's your turn. It's our turn. So you email and say, I want to be one of those who take these couples through it. What could, what could be more important than that? Number three. The best thing you can do for your child is to be committed to their mother or father. Matthew 19, 6, for they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, as a mom and dad, making sure little Liam is in the best school district is not the most important thing you will do. Making sure that little Emma's college is all paid for, 
That's not the most important thing you can do. Making sure little Mason has all the coolest videos so that no one will think he doesn't have all the coolest videos is not the most important thing you can do. Making sure little Olivia is dressing in the most fashionable clothes so she can be accepted because of her clothes is not the most important thing you can do. And making sure little, little Jacob and little Ava have the best lessons and are on the best teams and spend the year traveling the United States playing grasshopper all-star soccer is not the best thing you can do for your kids. Fathers, the best thing you can do for your children is to love, be committed to, and be faithful to their mother. Period. The end. And mothers, the best thing you can do for your children is to love, be committed to, and be faithful to their dads. The stability of an intact family cannot be replaced. We talked about this in an earlier sermon regarding divorce. And one of the reasons we said God hates divorce, Malachi 3, is what it does to the kids. He knows what it does to children. You say, Ron, I think you're wrong on that. You see, um, my wife and I, we don't get along, and uh, we don't communicate well, and, and we fight in front of the kids, and it's nasty, and it'd be better if the kids didn't see us fight. And so we're going to split up. You see, because kids are so resilient. I could not disagree with you more strongly. I do agree you need to work on your marriage. I do agree you need to go get some marriage counseling. I do agree you need to stop fighting in front of the kids. But don't make your problem their problem. And if you're thinking about that split, before you do, go read. You don't even have to read the Bible. Just go read The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. A 25-year study of kids from divorce homes. And you want to see, and you decide if you want to put your kids through that. See, most of them will be convinced the reason you split up was because of them. See, God's given you a great gift, and He expects you to take care of that gift in, in the confines and the comfort and the security of a home. They are impressionable and vulnerable little kids. And they're your responsibility. God gave them to you. If you're a young adult and you're not married yet, you better be doggone sure that when you stand right here or out in Washington at that beautiful facility, like we did yesterday for a wedding, and you look each other in the eye and you say, I commit my life to you for better or worse or richer for poorer and sickness and health, you better be sure that you're going to do it. Because don't make vows if you don't plan on keeping them. Well, some of you are saying, thanks for rubbing salt into my wounds. I'm divorced. I get the kids one week. He or she gets them the other week or weekends. And I'm sorry. I'm really sorry you have to go through that. I know some of you, that's the last thing you ever planned on or wanted. So here's the next best thing you can do. Don't use your kids as pawns 
to get back at your ex-spouse. Please don't do that. Never speak negatively about your ex-spouse in front of your children. She is their mother. He is their father. And that's never going to change. Make the, make the best of the situation, at least demonstrating civility and, and kindness to each other for the sake of the gift that God has given you. I had a friend, um, his parents split up when he was pretty young. And uh, he, he was, we were talking one time and he was telling me, he said, Ron, um, we had Christmas, past Christmas, my dad and his uh, wife and my mom and her husband, we all came together and had Christmas. And my first thought is, was that a little weird? And he said, yeah, but it's something I had been dreaming about all my life, to have my mom and dad in the same room at Christmas. He was in his 30s. Blended families, I know there are many of you. And you, you have a whole set of complexity. Let me just speak honestly, okay? I'm not trying to offend anyone. We want to help you walk through all these things. You see, most kids, when their parents split up, they dream. What's their dream? Their parents will get back together. And so then when you marry and move in, you're not a person. You represent the death of a dream. And I know that's hard to hear. But that's why it takes four to seven years. And you need to know this going into it. Four to seven years for that kid even to accept you. So, so don't go on your honeymoon and come back thinking it's going to be like the Brady Bunch. It's not. We've had some tremendous Bible studies here over the years for blended families. And, and, and if we're not doing that now, we need to look into that and do it again. Because we want to help you. This is the reality, right? It's the reality of where we are. We want to keep marriages together. That's the ideal. In, 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 the, in the difficult times that doesn't happen, we want to help you walk through that, other, that divorce process and make sure if you remarry, you do it right. And then blended families want to help you because we have kids at It's not about you anymore, is it? We have kids at stake. And we've got to parent our children as best we can. Some of you are single parents. I don't, I don't know how you do it. Your spouse is gone for whatever reason. Your family is not around. Let us help you. Email us and let us try to get some mentors at least around, around your kids. Number four. Be the parent. You're the parent, right? If you're a parent, raise your hand. I'm a parent, so be the parent. Parenting is something you cannot delegate. It's not a job that you can pass on to your, to your, uh, your, your kid's Christian school teacher. You can't pass this on to the youth pastor. We get them about it. The best case scenario, the kid's going to be had, under the influence of a youth pastor about two hours a week. And they're in your house all week long 
Do the math. Who has most influence on them? Be the parent. You have to help them manage their time. They, they don't need to, they may want to be, but they don't need to be on every team in the township. And you have to help them to say no. In fact, you have to help, you have to say no for them. By the way, I think you're the one who drives them to get registered, right? So you don't have to drive them to get registered. You're the parent. You can say no. I got some hard news for some of you. I, I, I hate being the one breaking this to you. But most of your kids are not going to grow up to be professional athletes. I know that's hard. Now, maybe some of you. Most of you in this room ain't going to happen. So some things you can do. Manage their time. I've got to give you a quick uh, statistic here. A few years ago, Time Magazine did this article on, uh, on kids, uh, National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse from Columbia University. Two-decade study, 20-year study. Children who eat meals most often with their parents are 40% more likely to get A's and B's in school than kids who have two or fewer dinners a week with their parents. Here's another study. Uh, 5,000 adolescents, American family physician. Researchers found that children who ate more meals with their family suffered significantly lower rates of cigarette, alcohol, drug abuse, and they also enjoyed a higher grade point averages and struggled less with depression and suicide. Now, why is that? Because you make good fried chicken and mashed potatoes? It's because you're spending some time. You've made some decisions. To have a meal together means you made some decisions not to do certain things so you can do certain things. And around the meal, you interact and you talk and you, and you laugh and you cry and you deal with, with, the, with the issues of life and you go around the table asking, what's the best part of your day? And you get to know your kids. But it's not just the meal time. It, it just it flows from that. Because when you're willing to make scheduling sacrifices to do meals together, you're willing to make scheduling sacrifices to spend time with your kids. You have to teach them responsibility. You can do whatever you want to do, but one of the reasons Lori and I didn't bring in household help to clean the house or to mow the grass was because where else were our kids going to learn to clean the house and cook meals and clean up afterwards and mow the grass? I kind of felt like that was our, sorry, Lori and I, (laughs) we're in this together. We felt like that was our responsibility. Boundaries for dating. We've always said 16, but 16 is too young. I don't know. And if it is 16, you got to have some boundaries around it. Some boundaries that your kids know. Teach your kids that when they are young so that they don't know anything differently. Teach, let them get a job so they learn responsibility outside the home. They know how to report on time, how to work hard, how to report to a boss that maybe they don't like, how to earn money and tithe their money. See, that's your responsibility. Why, why is it that most people today don't tithe? Because it wasn't important in their homes. So we can change that. You have to set the boundaries for discipline. And there's no one size fits all for discipline. It has to be loving. It can never be abusive. And it has to be appropriate. 
Hebrews chapter 12. For what children has not been disciplined by their father? Rhetorical question. None, if the father really loves them. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, you are, you are not legitimate. Think about that. So, so being a godly man just doesn't do it, dads. Being a godly man just doesn't do it. Listen to this. David, David, man after God's own heart, right? Just say, just, are you guys with me here? David, was a, he was a man after God's own heart. Not a question. He was. Okay, thank you. Listen to this. Adonijah was one of his sons. David, his father, so Adonijah was a mess. You can read about Adonijah. David, his father, this is in parentheses. Here's, the son's a mess. The writer puts it in parentheses. Let me tell you why he was a mess. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave like you do? He was very handsome and was born next to Absalom. David, David never disciplined him. So you can be a godly man. You can teach every Sunday school class we've got. Fail at home. David did. Parents need to teach their kids how to fail. You do not need to make sure your child succeeds at everything. Life will have some failures in it. You don't have to go talk to their teacher every time they get a 95 instead of a 100. Because it must be the teacher's fault, right? So you explain to them, it's got to be the teacher's fault. It's not your fault, little Johnny. Couldn't be your fault. You're my child. You're perfect. It's got to be the teacher. Let them fail. Let them fail in those things so they don't fail in some of the unalterable things, things they can't alter, things they can't change. And we have a specific challenge today, parents, because of a thing with technology and, and the millennials that we raise are, are raised in a different world. The first group that when they look like they're taking a picture, who are they taking a picture of? Themselves. Time Magazine did this uh, article on the me, me, me generation. The children of the me generation, the baby boomers. And uh, it's a great article. You need to read it. Listen to this. There, there are more incidences of narcissism in this group than any other. This group uh, lives with, um, it's going to live, they say, with, with, with the reality they're not going to have a handle unmet expectations because we never let them do that. Listen to this. Millennials got so many participation trophies. They get a trophy for every, show up and you get a trophy, right? Millennials got so many participation trophies growing up that a recent study showed that 40% believe they should be promoted every two years regardless of performance. Does it matter when you give a little three-year-old and then a four-year-old and a five-year-old and a six-year-old participation trophies for just showing up? Yeah, it does. Listen to this. This is the most frightening. Getting back to living grounded. They're so convinced that their own, of their own greatness, that the National Study of Youth and Religion found the guiding morality of 60% of millennials in any situation is that they'll just be able to feel 
What's right? Now that's scary. A couple more. Now that cell phones allow kids to socialize at every hour, they spend and receive an average of 88 texts a day. They're living under the constant influence of their friends. Never before in history, one researcher says, never before in history have people been able to grow up and reach the age of 23 so dominated by their peers. To develop intellectually, you've got to relate to older people. Things 17-year-olds never grow up and do when they're just hanging around other 17-year-olds. Here's the deal. These are our kids, but guess what? You're the parent. They don't have to have iPhones if they misuse them. They don't have to have all this stuff if it's not good for them. Would, 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 would we want to sit down? Our, would we want to put any uh, food or a meal before our kids that we knew was unhealthy for them? But, but everybody else has this stuff. Yeah, but you're the parent of your kid. And I don't have to answer. I don't have to answer for any kid represented in this room except four. And you don't have to answer for my kids, but you do have to answer for yours. You're the parent. Be the parent. One more thing real quick. Parenting is modeling and mentoring. Basic show and tell. Basic teaching and then backing it up with your words. I don't have time to go through this, uh, but um, Dr. Fredo and I, Bob Fredo and I, have taught classes around this theme. And if you go to our website, ronmoore.org, uh, we have a whole list of blogs that we've done on modeling and mentoring a relationship with God, modeling and mentoring compassion, respect, honesty, integrity, biblical money principles, a lot of resources there. You can go check it out yourself. 1 Corinthians Uh, 11.1, Paul says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That should be the verse for every parent. Hey, kids, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect. But follow my example as I continue to follow hard after Jesus Christ. So how many of you have heard of Colin Kaepernick, right? Quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Here's what he said. At quarterback, obviously you're going to speak up, but you can lead more by your what? Actions, showing people that you are prepared. I'm not a great fan of Colin Kaepernick, but that hit me. See, as an NFL quarterback, he spends countless hours in practice and study and breaking down films to prepare for a 60-minute game, although entertaining, has no eternal value. So what are we, parents, as moms and dads, doing to prepare ourselves for the most important game of all? Preparing our children, not only for this life, but for life eternal. You're the parent falls in your court. Model and mentor for your kids, understanding they are a gift 
from God. Just be the leader. Just be the team. Father, thank you for our time today. Lord, the weight of this window of time that you give us is heavy. Such a privilege, such a joy. We have so much fun with our kids. Laughter and things that we can do with them. Just the, just the great joy that family brings. And at the same time, Lord, it's a heavy assignment. And we cannot do this without your help. We are desperate for you. We need you to help us with the words we say and with the things we do. We need you to help us be grounded so we can pass on the truly important things. Your word, your truths, and the message of your son, Jesus Christ. We are desperate for you. We ask, Lord, that you meet us where we are and help us. Help us. Parent in a way that honors you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.